This short code podcast is a proud member of the MedEd Media Network. Inspiration, information, and guidance on your journey to medical school and beyond at MedEdMedia.com. Meandering in the margins of medicine, it's the Short Code Podcast. Weird news, fresh views, helpful clues, and interviews by students for students. Subscribe to our weekly show at theshortcoat.com. Welcome back to The Short Coat, a podcast of the University of Iowa Carver College of Medicine. I'm Dave Etler. With me today are some magical creatures of medical education. Uh, a, a majestic pegasus of a person. It's Aline Sanduk. Wow, I've never... Awesome. <laughs> that is how I want to be introduced every other time I do anything. I'm she like, has the wisdom of the Sphinx. It's Ananya Munjal. Thank you. I get this all the time. Hello, <laughs> hello. Uh, the hippocamp of this med-ed chariot we're riding, that's Maddie Walleen. Hello. And keeping watch over us all, the Argus of CECOM, it's Nicole Hines. I'll, I'll take it. <laughs> You don't even know what that is, do you? No. I'm not sure what it is either. I don't know what a hippocamp is either. It's like a horse. It's like a a, a horse with a fish tail. Oh. So yeah. that's it's good. The that's the point. Like a, that these are great things to be called. Yeah. A horse with a fish tail. Okay. Yes. And, and if you oh. thought that was all, you are sorely mistaken, shortcuts, because we're also honored to have with us author and physician Jeff Moody, a urologist who just happens to have attended the University of Iowa Carver College of Medicine. Actually, it wasn't called that back then. It was called the Iowa University of Iowa College of Medicine. Okay. Uh, back in, graduated in 1992. Um, welcome, Jeff. Yay, welcome hey. to the show. Welcome. You didn't get a nickname. Okay. Thanks for having me. I, I think that makes me the narwhal of knowledge. There we go. There we go. Like Self-imposed. That was good. Thank just you. That was good. Thank you. So, uh, narwhals aren't mythical, though. Yo, that's all the better. Have you ever like, seen one? Who would invent an narwhal? I think yeah. okay. narwhal. I mean, it's Are like the most real? useless no. evolutionary thing of all time. So. I don't. I don't like this game because I always lose. I always pick the wrong thing if something's real or not. No, I think they're real. I think they're. They no. are real. No, they, I'm pretty they're, sure they're, they're real. Their horn is actually a tooth. Oh, how? Well, okay. Say that. I'm Do a, not play Trivial Pursuit with Dave. That's all. Yeah. I am a font of useless knowledge. Uh, Dr. Moody, you're here today because uh, you've got a book out, uh, and then the it's called "The Doctor Is Burned Out: A Physician's Guide to Recovery." Um, thank you so much for being on the show. We've, we've talked about burnout a few times on the show, but let's get your perspective. Uh, what is burnout for you? Well, okay. There, there's the clinical definition, which is like a depersonalization, emotional exhaustion, and um, lack of personal achievement. But it, to me, it's like, it's all personal. It's all emotional. Um, it, you know, I, it's one of those things I feel like if you have a bad day every day for a year, it's probably not just a bad day. You probably have burnout because there's some things going on. To me, it's all of the effects that occur like you have you're angry you're frustrated you're depressed you're anxious um sorry if i'm describing the medical students um i, I hope not it's, it's really it's actually here. a little too real maybe we change the subject <laughs> you know, but i think the other two things in addition to the depersonalization etc i think you get to a point in burnout where you kind of have this hopeless and like powerless kind of like feeling like there's nothing I can do and I'm trapped. And then that's when I think the real depression and some of the suicidal ideation and those things kick in, you know, one, you guys know, you guys know the stats, one physician a day in the United States commits suicide. So, I mean, that's my real why, why I'm doing this is I want to prevent 
one person from getting to that point and help you guys never get to that point. That's the real, the real goal here today. Was there an identifiable moment in your life when you realized that this was not just an abstract concept, but was a reality for you? Um, let me show you my identifiable moment. Oh, I have it in my introduction in my book. I don't know how well uh, that probably doesn't project well on an audio podcast, but that's my <laughs> keyboard snapped in half. Yeah. Oh so that, that was kind of my, we call that in my office, the keyboard moment. Um, because that's when I had lost basically an entire day of EMR data entry when our system crashed. Um, so yeah, that was probably, probably the, 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 the low point uh, for me. Well, I mean, I think anybody would identify with that. I mean, although I don't think I physically snapped a keyboard in half. Uh, I want to snap a keyboard was... right now. <laughs> just, just the prospect of that happening is the nice, terrible. The nice sound, the good snap. Yeah, I know. the good crunch. But did you realize in that moment what was what the problem, what the real problem for you was? Well, I mean, you know, I kind of say life is uh, how you respond to it. You know, things happen to everybody, but I think it's your response that governs how you live your life and go through your life. And clearly my responses were out of whack and some things needed to change, you know, and, and I think that kind of, to me, that illustrates what I think different people react to burnout differently too. I think some people get angry and frustrated like I do. Um, some people get sad. Some people get quiet. Um, and so I think you need to be a little attuned to yourself and what your own personal responses to things are. And if those start to go to extremes, I think then that's when you're really, you know, I worry that you may be beginning to get burned out. Mm-hmm. It seems like the essential tool to avoiding like something truly terrible happening from burnout is just having a good internal barometer and staying very self-aware. That, that's a great point, Alina. I think, I mean, the biggest problem though with physicians is I think the last thing we are sometimes is self-aware because we're, you're, you're set out this program. You're like, okay, you're going to go through undergrad. You're going to work your hiney off. You're going to volunteer $8 million. You're going to cure cancer and, you know, become the next mother Teresa. Then you're going to apply to medical school and you might get in (laughs) on on the MCAT um, and have a four point whatever and five beta kappa. They might deign to let you in. Um, No, that's, that's just for the interview. (laughs) Exactly. You're 50, 50 at that point at best, you know? Um, And then you get through medical school, which is, you know, a very prescribed process and it doesn't, and then you do residency, et cetera. I mean, the path is very well laid out, but it doesn't seem like there's a lot of room for variance for the path or a lot of room for introspection or a lot of time because everything that you do is so all consuming. Um, and for a minority of people, I think that works well. Like that's, that's a great plan. They're totally dedicated. That's all they've ever wanted to do. Um, for the rest of us who actually want to have a life outside of medicine, it's part of our life. It is not our life. Um, I think it becomes a hard balance. Um, and, and that's a great, and having that self-awareness is great, but that I'm, I'm 54 I'm still learning the self-awareness. So I'm, I like, I'm most definitely in the remedial track in medical school, but, um, you know, it, it's, um, it was, it's something that I don't feel like is enough emphasis on those who don't have good self-awareness. And I don't think there's enough formal education or training around, although that made you guys tell me, do you guys like have this part of your curriculum where you're more focused on how are you doing? We get a lot of mixed messages, I think, from the professional community 
around this subject. And I don't think it's anyone's particular fault. I think some very big systemic changes need to happen before it trickles down to the individual person. But, um, you know, something I was thinking about actually as you were talking is um, we have a medical student counseling center here that's awesome. Mm -hmm. And they actually have these like weekly wellness tips and they're fantastic, like objectively useful. I've forwarded them on to friends and to family. And there was one in particular recently, I don't know if any of y'all caught it, um, but it was the importance of saying no. Mm-hmm. And right. I mean, yeah, truly. I love that. I, I was, I tell my clients and friends, I'm like, no is a complete sentence. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And you don't know anyone any more information. I'm sorry, but no. So, you know, I'm, I'm God, in my thirties. That's and brilliant. <laughs> yeah. 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 I'm not a young person, but I'm also like young enough in my life that like, okay, I I can work on implementing this change and meaningfully improving Mm -hmm. my life. But it's really hard because on the one hand, we're being told like, hey, take good care of yourself. Say no. Let us, you know, reach out when you uh, are having trouble. And then in the same day, I was given a task by another student who's not my boss, something I didn't volunteer for. And I, I wrote back and said, hey, I'm sorry, but actually I'm not participating in that activity. Emailed me a week later saying, cool, thanks for letting me know. Anyway, here's the link to the thing that I sent you. And then if you could, if you get that done by tomorrow. Still do it, yeah. Just blew you know. right or, past or like, my back. Oh, by the way, you know, the, the dedicated medical student, the implication is the dedicated medical student would stay till the end of the case at two o'clock in the morning. Yeah. You know, yeah. but I guess the not so dedicated one yeah. leaves at, you know, 6 p.m. Mm-hmm. I was, yeah. yeah, I was gonna kind of in the same vein, even when I think, and I think Carver does a good job trying to like, like these wellness tips and these emails and these resources that are provided for us. I think that like they do a good job with providing these resources, but simultaneously, I think all of us have this, like, you know, like we're all like inching towards this like pit, which is going to be like attempting to get whatever residency we want or whatever, like our end goal is. And I feel like you, in your book, you talk about this like battle between like productivity and like how you shouldn't measure how we are like it's ingrained in us to like measure our worth by productivity. And so I wonder, like, I think even when we're given these, t- even if we're like told to say no or encouraged to say no, I should say, or like encouraged to sleep more, there's always something that will take a precedent because we're also given these like graphs and images of like how many research papers you have to do to match into like this specialty. And I just wonder, I, I just, I guess like my question for you is, preempting this like you know burnout and how can like for those of us that are not self-aware or are self-aware and still feel like we're you know caught in this like hamster wheel of trying to you know be more productive how do we like you know stop that yeah or like the sisyphean task like yeah. it's never and you're always pushing the yeah yeah, yeah, yeah. exactly and, and, yeah. you know it's it's never enough i i think that a couple things and I think this is a, this to me would be a great um, activity for all medical students to do. Maybe on the first day of medical school is like really get a good idea of what you want out of life and what that looks like. And then then that governs your behavior. OK, like, for example, if if I hadn't been such a, a crazy, you know, person, maybe in medical school, I, I would have realized that I didn't have to maybe go to the best, best residency in the country. And I didn't have to come out and be the most productive partner because, because like your barometer gets set for that. And then absent something that you do to control that, or to make the picture look, make your life look different. That's what you're going to do. I mean, cause you're set on that path. It's like, wind you up and let you go. I'm like, mm-hmm. I think the, the better path is to to look inside yourself 
take, just take 10 minutes or an hour and say, what do I really want out of life? What do I really like? What do I value? Mm -hmm. And what does that look like? And then does that mean that maybe I don't have to do four research projects? Maybe I do one and I end up going to maybe not the top five residency program in the country in my specialty, but I go to a top 21 and they're like very chill and I get a great training and I go out and I do, you know, I work, you know, three days a week in the community. I work Mm -hmm. one day a week at a a free clinic because that's what's important to me. Mm -hmm. And I'm going to make X amount of dollars and I'm going to have everything that I want in my life because I thought about that before I started pushing the boulder up the hill and maybe I'm going to push a pebble up the hill Mm -hmm. instead of a boulder. Mm -hmm. And, and that's like good with you. That's, that's you. That was where you wanted to be at, you know, at the, at the first place. I think we're, that we're all taught me included, you guys included, you're all taught to like, you have to strive to the utmost for everything. I'm like, you know what, maybe that's not necessarily true. Mm -hmm. Maybe you should actually do what is important for you and your priorities. And, and again, you're, 25, 30. I mean, maybe sure. some of those things aren't so defined, but I think it's worth spending the time to, to do those activities. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I think a, a lot of people who set themselves on this path don't really fully process the idea that it really, it really doesn't matter where you go to medical school or what residency <laughs> you get into mm-hmm. that because these are all accredited bodies. You're going mm-hmm. to get a great medical education mm-hmm pretty much wherever you go, mm-hmm. um, what's more important is the kind of environment you end up in and the kind of perspective that you can get out of that than whether or not you're at a fancy school or a fancy residency program, whether it fits with you and what you want to do. Mm-hmm. But it's awful hard to do that when you don't know what you want in the first place. Right. And, and again, I just spend five or 10 minutes, like talk, just think about what you like what like lights you up. Like to me, this is like the most fun I'll have all week is talking to you guys. Like I love operating. I love seeing patients, but like, like teaching and helping people maybe not make the same mistakes I made, um, is like very, very important to me. And it really like, if I, like I said, if I can have one doctor not commit suicide, if I can help four or five medical students, like really like back up the truck and think about what their priorities are. And then, get on a better life path like you we you you know hopefully we eliminate or avoid 20 years of going down the wrong path Mm -hmm. and then you're like wow i'm really unhappy working 80 hours a week in new york city um because i wanted to really live on a farm in montana i'm like well crap like (laughs) let's let's you know let's prevent that that wrong path i guess yeah. I think there's some misunderstanding, too, that there's more than one way through medical school. Mm-hmm. It's not always just a four-year path. Mm-hmm. There are ways that sometimes your course load gets lightened. There are times that you step back and reenter. There are times that you go and you do an elective away from the school mm-hmm. and then return to the normal coursework. It's not just a four-year plan that you stick to. And usually you'll do that with the administration to make that decision, but it's not the end of the world if you deviate from that four-year plan. Mm -hmm. Because Mm -hmm. if you learn along the way, you learn to be healthier, you're going to be a more complete person, Mm -hmm. and Mm -hmm. hopefully it will make you a better physician in the end. Mm -hmm. 
-hmm. Guaranteed, it'll make you a better physician. That's a fabulous, but I think it absolutely will make you a better physician Mm -hmm. too. And the other thing that I feel about that, and thank you, and I'm sorry to interrupt, I'll I'll, just let me make one point. My thing is, and in the book I make this point, I'm like, you have to give yourself permission to do that, to Mm -hmm. take the time, to Mm -hmm. put yourself first, to go exercise every day, if that's a priority, to eat well, to get good sleep. I mean, you know, at the end of the day, if you don't ever put yourself first, there will be none of you left. Mm-hmm. So, so and I'm sorry, yeah. I someone. I kind of have a question about that. So sometimes I'm, you know, with the best intentions of being well and putting wellness, um, making that a priority, it kind of puts some pressure on yourself. And I think, I don't think this is unique to me. I think this is a medical student per- thing and just people who are automatic or who put a lot of pressure on themselves. And I find that when I'm not meeting the wellness goals that I've set out for myself, <laughs> I get even more frustrated. <laughs> yeah. so, so now I'm frustrated because I'm, you know, I have all of this studying to do. I want to go to the gym. I need to pre-cook all my chicken for the week. And I'm just like, now I'm falling behind in wellness. This is not, this is not great. So how do you just like, I just want to break it on yourself. Look, I, let's get, put, put a pin in that. I just want to break in here and say that I, Dave Etler have always embraced mediocrity. <laughs> You know, like I, from you, Dave. I, the only reason I understand any of what you're talking about is because of my association with you guys. And this is why I love doing the show with you because I, I, I can understand, I can hear more about, because if I was like not on the show, I'd be like, whatever. David, you're the host of a little ding dongs. Pull podcast. it together. I don't think that's unique, right? I mean, that's not a unique feeling, right? Our identities feeling. are literally rooted in giving when you have nothing left. Yep. Like that's a pillar of our yes. identity. That's how we got to where we yeah. are. You know, something I was thinking about, when Maddie, you were telling your story is uh, I was talking to someone recently who was like really unsatisfied with their psychotherapy. And I was like, so why? And they were like, I just feel like I'm not doing a good job at it. And I'm like, <laughs> it's not a thing you're supposed to do well at. You just go. Yeah. Right. But like they wanted some metric from their psychiatrist of like, hey, am I doing a good job? Are you satisfied with my progress? Yeah. And they were like, hey, that's not how it works. So well, yeah, it's like all of these wellness things have like goal setting as like one of their <laughs> things. And that is stressful for me because I set this goal and I'm like, uh oh, I have to. I, had, I only went to the gym twice this week and I said I was going to go three times. Like. Yeah. So even I, though you did a great job, you still feel like yeah, you I think, exactly. I think it comes down to the mindset and the idea that you have to maximize everything that you do. And we just have to step back and have a little more self-love and change the way we frame it and just say, I'm thankful that I did this mm-hmm. and say, maybe I'm happy I did two out of three instead of doing zero out of three. Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah. You know what? Yeah. And again, I, I think that, that uh, we are all super driven by external metrics. It's like, you mm-hmm. know what, throw those away, especially when it comes to wellness. You should only be guided by how it makes you feel and the results you get from it from a personal internal standpoint. I'm like, and if you if you go to the gym once a week and you feel great, perfect. Like if you feel horrible, if you only go four times a week, well, then maybe you know for you, you need to go five times or six times. I mean, it's... That is, I, I would, like um, you said, I would absolutely encourage people to like, whatever you do, love it, <laughs> love, love yourself. And I do think there's a very unhealthy amount of self-doubt and self-loathing that gets beat into yeah. medical students and residents throughout your training. I have That's no idea beat. what you're talking about, actually. I, I mean, adore myself. <laughs> 
I'm mean, being very it, it, is, it is it is a big problem, and that's like I said, we talked earlier. This is gonna like the next book is like let's let's like why do we harm the healers? Let's make that environment less punitive and more supportive. And and it's the kind of the medical industrial complex I call it. Um, you know, it, it's unfortunately uh, newsflash when you get into the real world, it's very metric driven about productivity and money. And unfortunately, mm-hmm. it's mostly about money, money. unless you're in an mm-hmm. academic setting. Um, so I'm really, I, I, I've interviewed a number of people on my live streams about like, how do we change the culture, the corporate culture of medicine? Yeah. And uh, I think that's a huge thing for me going forward. Mm-hmm. And even in academic medicine, it's not immune from the money question. I mean, you know, just the whole the whole emphasis on, you know, RVUs, revenue value units, and which basically just means money. I don't know why they have to call it revenue value units. I but mean, you, put, you put cool thing. I'm happy to, yeah, I'm happy cool. if it was just called money. That was, that was good PR. <laughs> that was a marketing department yeah. effort. But you know, it's there, that, that conversation happens like, Okay, you know this is great. You're teaching. Oh, okay, well, what about the money? Yeah. Mm-hmm. I, I have a question about um, specialties. Um, in the beginning of your book, you share you, you have a graph of the burnout rate for various specialties. And you're all you're a urologist. It happens that uro- urology is number one <laughs> on the burnout scale. About fifty four percent of people surveyed by this particular study wow. um, in urology reported burnout. That's a lot. 4%. Um, but my question is, like, what what makes one... So I think there are some obvious reasons why one specialty might be more prone to burnout than another. You know, like surgery, I could see why it might be more subject to burnout than pathology. Um, but what is it that makes urology more than, say, surgery or or something like that? Like, does, does that question make any well, sense? I have, number, I have a number of answers for that. I think, number one, um, people going to urology are, in general, pretty nice, funny people. And so when they have these, uh, like, episodes or these instances of burnout, I think it affects them more. Um, you know, that's part of the, That's about 90% of the reason why I went to urology. I'm like, these are, like, the nicest, happiest people that I meet in the hospital. Yeah, you know? plus a lifetime of penis jokes. I mean, that's yeah, well, yeah, you, can, you, can, I, you can always just walk in and say, hey, how's the wood? I mean, yeah. like, and that's a completely medically appropriate question. Right. And, you know, and I, I tease my patients like, you know what? I'm, we gave up using the jalapeno jelly because we got all the complaints about that. You, know? <laughs> so you can, like, And I think for me also, people are it's like it's very private. And people are really nervous about it. So I'm like, let's let's have fun with it and mm-hmm. and take the the anxiety down a notch or two. But I think that the demographic reason why urologists are burned out is the year I finished medical school, '92, they cut 25% of the training spots because there's going to be this horrible oversupply wow. of urologists. Wow. So in the last 28 years, approximately a thousand urologists have not been trained that would have otherwise been trained. Mm-hmm. And I get about five job offers a day. Um, and if you look nationwide, how many open positions there are, there are about a thousand. So, you know, it's, it's, it's just, it's a, it's a bad numbers game because obviously the population is getting older and less healthy Mm -hmm. and the number of urologists has been the same for 30 years. And the population Mm -hmm. in the U S is up like 50 million people in the last 30 years. So Mm -hmm. it's, it's kind of a bad numbers game. But even, even like what the lowest on that is, is like what, 25% or something? 28%. So that's like, you know, even the lowest number is not low. It's like physician. It's like a 
It's public um, health and preventive medicine. Yeah. I'm like, I'm like, I think that's awesome that they're the lowest. Yeah. I bet public health and preventive medicine is not 24 right now. Yeah. 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 I mean, speaking of, you know, there there are a lot of external factors that that um, make people unhappy. Um, are those external factors things like, you know, a pandemic, Black Lives Matter, um, a political system in upheaval, um, one's marriage? Uh, you know, like, are all those things? I mean, all those things must contribute as well. Yeah, I, actually, I, I just I gave a, I'm giving a virtual summit keynote uh, at a. At a, at a it's called champions of wellness next week. And I already recorded it. They're just doing it. I recorded. And my talk was burnout, mental health, and COVID. This one goes to 11, mm-hmm. you know? And, and if you look at the, if you look at the, um, the data, it's probably actually like this one goes to 30 because mm-hmm. a lot of the anxiety and depression rates have tripled in the last six months. Mm-hmm. Um, so you got to think burnout is probably somewhere in that neighborhood mm-hmm. as well. Um, so it's just, it, it's, I, I think it's, there are definitely external factors, but I think it all ties together. And I think also this kind of goes back to like, what life do you want to construct for yourself and what pieces do you allow to be incorporated into the construction of that life? You know, if your, if your life is constructed on the fact that you need to make X dollars per year and you, and all of a sudden reimbursement goes down 20%, how, what do you get? You know, you're going to be crazy trying to make up that 20%, um, or you're going to have a significant change in your lifestyle, maybe not of your choosing. So I, I feel like people kind of, again, build either by overt agreement or tacit agreement, kind of build this box around themselves by saying yes mm-hmm. too much, um, by maybe, you know, being at the maximum capacity. And then if there's a change in what happens, then, then you're stressed because now you're, you're trying to run twice as fast, um, when you were already running as fast as you could. Mm-hmm. So I think that, I think the, the more intellectual way to go about this is to construct your life in such a way to allow room for your life mm-hmm. and not just your work life. On a, on a similar note to that, preparing for today, I had a thought that kept reoccurring. Now, early, very early on in our medical education, we learn about adverse childhood experiences and how they can affect people in the long term. And I think we would be sorely mistaken if we thought that our peers, our colleagues didn't experience these two and wouldn't be affected in the long term by these. Mm-hmm. Now, the way we're driven forward by our goals towards medical school, many people may have not worked past these and having their traumas resurface. How might that play in a physician's life if they don't take the time to work through these and then adding that on top of current events and having those stressors? Well, I think definitely wherever you're starting from, I I feel like pressure only makes you more of what you already are. Mm -hmm. So if you already kind of have some, some, some issues, um, some stress, some anxiety, some depression, and then you're put under, it's like squeezing an orange. All it does is squeeze out more orange juice. You know, it's, you're going to get more of what you already are. If you're really well adjusted and you get a put under pressure, you'll probably handle it really well. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, I'm not sure if there's a mechanism within the medical school training or if there are, you know, psychological assessments. We were talking about the, the PHQ two and nine, um, I think on that, uh, on the uh, suicide call, yeah. Zoom call. I mean, I don't know if those are standard things you take before you enter medical school, if they do more uh, a more full psych- psychological assessment. 
Um, I doubt it. Would be nice, but I don't think yeah. that would be necessary. Yeah. It just makes um, me wonder, how could we improve our system to help people identify early on what they may be struggling with to help start to resolve those things before we begin to have even more stressors as we move on in our careers? Exactly. I mean, some of that is, is again, self-awareness, which again, we're bad at. I think physicians yeah. are pretty bad at it. Um, some of it is, you know, do you need to have more external assessment, Dave? Maybe just the College of Medicine need to do more assessment. Maybe, you know, not not like, are you psychologically stable to make it through medical school? But it's mm-hmm. like, hey, like we noticed that, you know, you're a little high on these areas. Maybe a few visits to the counseling office would help you explore that. Maybe um, some outside therapy, you know, mm-hmm. I, I don't know. And, and yeah, it's, it's, really, it's such a hard question because as soon as you start asking those questions, then I think a lot of people will clam up yeah, mm-hmm, yeah. because um, not just because it's their scary questions, but also because they're like, well, this is going to affect me. Yeah. This is going to affect my career and mm-hmm. whether or not I make mm-hmm. it through this. This is going to go on my permanent record. Yeah. Mm-hmm. This is going to, you know, yeah. this is going to, you know, f- up my life to the tune of $300,000 or whatever it costs yeah. to go to medical school these days. Um, yeah. It's such a, it's such a scary tie. It re- I think it really gets in the way of, you know, of change mm-hmm. this that because medical school feels risky already mm-hmm. you know yeah. okay. and that speaks to the entire kind of like psychology around becoming a doctor and then mm-hmm. you have to be the superman or superwoman and you never need help and you have to be perfect and i'm like and then and then the the bad the bad end of that story is when you get out into the real world there are these things called and it's in the first chapter of the book physician health programs where if you have substance abuse or other like significant you know issues you get mandatorily referred by court order to these programs but Mm -hmm. if you have like if you voluntarily seek um help through a php the state of Colorado just luckily passed a law that says the PHP has unfettered access to my, um, uh, or the medical board of Colorado has unfettered access to all my medical records. If I access the PHP, I'm like, well, that's going to help. That'll really, that'll really drive like, you know, openness and, and, um, you know, wellness. I'm like, that is the worst possible thing. What is the reasoning for that? Because I I think it's, it's all couched in public safety. Like, well, we need to know if your doctor's crazy or we need to know if your doctor's Uh, suicidal. I'm like, you're like, you know what? Do you really like, what if they're getting help for it? What if what you do makes makes them worse? What if they go underground and never admit it and, you know, have an event? I mean, it's, it's, to me, it's the 180 degree exact wrong way things should mm-hmm. be. It should be very open. You should have free, mm-hmm. unlimited access to mental health care whenever you need it at all times. And actually, I'm on a couple of committees in the hospitals here in town. And I'm like, you know, there should be like an event response squad when a patient dies in the OR. Like there should be like mental health professionals like mm-hmm. how's the doctor how's the how are the nursing staff in the room you know a, a patient had an unexpected outcome and died in the icu i'm like that that's a medical event but there's like this ptsd inducing yeah. like vibration that comes out of that that affects all people like you know fortunately and i'm knocking on wood mm-hmm. i've not had one of those events during my career but i'm like if you're an icu doc or if you're a mm-hmm. trauma surgeon or if you work in the ER, I mean, they talk about PTSD rates of like 20, 30, 50% in those specialties. I mean, it's, it occurs. You, you cannot exist in a vacuum of those horrible emotional events. So it's like, 
Well, they occur. Let's have a mechanism to deal with that. And same thing with this. I'm like, physicians are people just like all other people. And mm -hmm. they're going to have, you know, um, you know, divorces, they're going to have miscarriages, they're going to have, you know, parents die. It's like events happen in everyone's life. So it's like, let's incorporate that in the systems to support the recovery from those in normal, a normal course of action. And there's no licensure. In fact, that's, you know, there's studies that show like 60% of surgeons would not seek mental health mm -hmm. care or suicidal ideation for fear of licensure, licensure action. Mm -hmm. But all, like also these systems like should, you know, it should not be in place so that like, like there's no point making a physician like there's no point getting a physician these resources if the point like administratively is just so you can like see more patients you know like the end point because i'm thinking like we have it's just like thinking about like medical school we have and i think this is a thing across a lot of medical schools because i know like our student government was trying to change this but like i think in most and i don't know if this is like an ama thing but if you get like below a passing grade on your first exam or whatever like if you don't pass one exam which doesn't mean you're not going to pass the class then you get like um you get like an email from like and this is something they talked about in like at our institution like a couple students said like if you don't pass an exam they send you an email that's like oh we noticed you didn't do well on this exam like basically like saying that like you know like what what like what's going on so that you can do better on the next one and i'm thinking like if a student comes to medical school and like doesn't do well like it's your first whatever year you are you know that's like that's not a that's not a great way to approach it like how can we help you do better on the next one is like not the problem like it should be more like like how, like what's up with you or like i don't know i'm thinking it's kind of like you know triggering for a student just to like like feel like you know that they like require so i don't know i'm thinking that these institutions have to take place just to like preserve the mental health and not for like an endpoint oriented situation like mm -hmm. we're not trying to get you we're not trying to figure out your you know your studying patterns or whatever just so you can do well we're trying to like you know help you be a healthy individual i think there's a difference there mm. that is important yeah you know and realistically like from a from a, a work standpoint um it costs a million dollars to replace a physician yeah. you know somebody leaves or commits suicide yeah. it's a million bucks to replace somebody <laughs> From, I mean, and strictly from an economic standpoint, like you guys, you know, I, I'm sure even though the cost is significant, I'm sure the medical school would say you, what you're paying for tuition does not cover the cost to educate you. So it's to me, e even if you don't care about the person at all, you care about getting that person through medical school. So yeah. it's like what mechanisms, what resources yeah. do you have in a non punitive slash calling out kind of a way? Mm -hmm. Do you have to help that person? like become equipped to be successful mm -hmm. and happy and productive. I mean, that's, that's yeah. the lens that I would look at it through mm -hmm. um, versus like, yeah, well, you know, um, you need to just study a little more, you know, yeah. you, you hit the bars too much. Yeah. Sorry. Yeah. You know, next time we won't be as, you know, friendly. Yeah. Yeah. It's, I really appreciated the point um, that you both are making that like, even from a cold and calculating standpoint, it makes sense. It's not just yeah. the moral thing to do to encourage people yeah. to get help in order to be functional again. It's about priorities. And I, I agree with Ananya completely. There is kind of a focus on conformity. There's a culture of conformity, I think, in the healthcare profession where it feels like the institution only care, and I'm not talking about CECOM specifically, but just like mm -hmm. the institution of medicine feels like they care about your problems only to the extent that we can get you producing again, mm -hmm. not actually well so that you can as an offshoot produce well mm -hmm. you know again yeah. but I, I think that's true of american society as a whole yeah. I mean, employment words, culture yeah. um you're yeah you're you're if you have a problem you're if you have a if you have a psychological issue that prevents you from being productive then you're just a burden mm -hmm. um you're yeah your humanity isn't considered um in, in trying to determine your value 
<laughs> and God forbid that you should be having a, a psychological challenge about something that other people are super judgmental about. Yeah, well, like not only are you trying to get help, but then you tell them why, and they're like, "Oh, just beat it, just yeah. get out of here." We that's not a real problem. Suck it up. Yeah. Yeah. Rub some dirt on it. Yeah. Exactly. I need to take a break to say that you know one way to control burnout is to engage in activities outside of medicine. Many, many physicians do this through the arts and humanities, painters, writers, sculptors, dancers, photographers, musicians, artists of all types. Um, those people exist in medicine. And all of those types and many and any others who want to join us are welcome at our 14th annual Examine Life Conference coming this October and November 2020. All the sessions are virtual. There are 27 great presentations on everything from electro-psychedelic feedback loops to explorations of professional grief, um, from writing workshops to a free and open to the public session by physician author Rana Oddish. Um, mm. Head on over to examinelifeconference.com to design your personal schedule with our a la carte pricing. Most sessions are just 15 smackers. And we also have some really cool long format workshops for just a little bit more that you can take advantage of to build your skills and your enjoyment of life. Again, examinelifeconference.com. I think that was pretty slick the way I worked that out. That was a very smooth transition. One one thing, um, I would sponsor any one of you guys to go to as many of those sessions as you want. Okay. Oh, Oh, that's really cool. That's very very kind. Not kidding. Send me the bill. Wow. That's wonderful. As many as you want. I'm probably not going to take you up on that because that's extremely generous. But the gesture <laughs> and, the, and the actual that's commitment to doing it is really nice. Yes. Thank yeah. you so because, much. I mean, it's, it, this is my other frustration with a lot of this stuff. I'm like, um, one of the hospital systems I work with here in Colorado, um, they have a chief wellness officer. They have this great person who is the director of physician wellness. Their budget to help doctors, <laughs> zero. Yeah. Zippo. No. Zero. I'm like, not even huh, for office it, supplies. <laughs> <laughs> and, and so, like, in my way of thinking in business and in medicine, like, if there's a problem you, and you're going to do something about it, you assign a line item to it, you assign a budget to mm-hmm. it. Okay. So mm-hmm. if your budget is zero, that tells me where the priority is. Mm-hmm. Um, and yeah, this is something I think that, like, this is such a good point because I'm thinking this is something that they don't, you know, maybe tell us to look for when we're applying to residency. And maybe this is something that, you know, students should start like. Yeah, what's your demanding. budget? No, not like that. But like, no, I love it. Like, I mean, it's a actually, specific. I mean, it's, it's, but I'm like, I think we should like demand, like, you know, they get money to like have us come to their program. So we should be asking, like, what are you, what do you specifically do to maintain the mental health of your, your residency? I'm going to ask this now. What infrastructure yeah. exists around would, this? I yeah. mean, the question, yeah. like in my book, I have a list of questions, like when you're looking for a job or changing jobs. Yeah. One of the questions is, it's not even a question. It's like, tell me about your wellness. Program. Yeah. Yeah. I love yeah. it. And then they'll go, uh, uh yeah. we have a, like, we give the doctor's steak every, you know, March 30th. Whatever. On the doctor's yeah. Like, okay. I'm a vegetarian. Nine tenths days. Like talk, tell me about yeah. it. You know, what's your budget? I like what's this. Your program? What's your philosophy? You yeah. view all decisions through the lens of physician wellness. Mm-hmm. You know, how are you measuring outcomes? You yeah. know, yeah, exactly. it's not even just investing like you're saying, but also like, <laughs> are you even checking to see if it's having a meaningful impact? Yeah. yeah. You're so right. Yeah. I mean, if you look at the data, the Mayo Clinic has done the most data. It's a guy, a great guy named Kate Shanafelt. He's now the C, uh, chief wellness officer at Stanford, but, um, they even within a system where they have captive physicians that they study in, intently, 
they, they saw like a 40% um, increase in people who ha- were high on the burnout scale who went to part-time work within two years. I'm like, and this is in a system that's private and well-funded yeah. and well-studied. I'm like, and even they can't stop the the tide. Mm-hmm. I'm like, what, you know, what, what are the rest of us, you know, what, what can we possibly do? And that's where I think you really have to look at you know, self factors and systemic factors that you can control. So I think it's a great, I think it's a great point because one of the thing that, one of the things that annoys me um, about this, um, not, not this conversation, but this conversation about burnout is the solutions provided are always aimed at the individual and not at the system. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And, yeah. but, but what this conversation is pointing out to me is that those are the, it's, impo- it's it feels impossible to change the system mm-hmm. yeah. because of the money, because of the priorities of the system, um, and because of the forces involved. Am I am I wrong about this? No, you're right. No, you're so well, right. Okay, so then the, the way I t- attack this is then I'm like, if, if the only thing that people respond to or administration or your system, you know, big hoo-hahs, then talk to them in money terms. I'm like, mm-hmm. hey, you know what? I'm thinking about leaving. That's going to cost you like half a million to a million dollars a year. So I would like you to hire a scribe for me to do all of my mm-hmm. EMR stuff. Yeah. That'll yeah. cost $25,000 a year. And if I see one extra patient a day, it pays for itself. Mm-hmm. How's that? Yeah. Feel? Yeah. Um, I would like you to give me um, four hours a week to come teach medical students at my local medical school. And that'll cost X uh, out of my productivity. Uh, but, you know, it'll cost you a million dollars if I leave. So, hmm. you know, I, if the only thing they understand is money, mm-hmm. be very cognizant of what your worth is. Mm-hmm. And we wildly undervalue ourselves all yeah. the yeah, time, no yeah. Yeah, yeah. Sure. even as medical students. So yeah. you have to start like thinking that you're, you know, you are indeed, indeed big deals because mm-hmm. you are, and you will be responsible. The, the average primary care doctor makes a million dollars a year for their hospital system yeah. in ancillary tests. The average orthopedist generates Five million dollars a year. Okay. So when they tell you they don't have money to hire a PA or yeah. a scribe for you, you got to call BS on that like yeah. Yeah. four times mm-hmm. fast, right mm-hmm. to their face. You're so, so right. I remember like it was. I think it must have been like six years ago. The internal med residents at Iowa. I think they like they like had a conversation. They were like, "We're really burnt out. We're not." You know, the same things you're saying. Like we we're doing. We're spending a lot of time on these like EMR things and like miscellaneous things that are not directly related to patient care. And so they hired um, three students. I know because I was one of them. And they hired actually like undergrad like seniors to just come in and do all this like calling like fall like scheduling follow appointments like calling families like faxing records. And we spent like I guess so yeah we were like we were doing like sixty hours a week there combined. And yeah, and like then they hired like more because it was like helping the residents. It was basically just like resident overflow. So there's definitely like ways to do this. That so, are yeah, helpful. this is an interesting win-win. solution because yeah. you might you know you might immediately leap to think that oh god that's so expensive. It's not. I mean, I was making, like, um, or that's so yeah. difficult or so hard to do. Yeah. Where are we going to find these people? Blah blah yeah. blah blah blah. And all they literally all they had to do was look around the corner. Yeah. And there y'all were. And yeah. I bet you would have done it without pay. I would have done it for free. I want to experience. I, yeah, I got so many. Uh, I think this is like great. And it's a great, I think, this specific situation is such a great, like, I think it's really, it was beneficial for me as a student, I think. The residents were not, like, wasting 60 hours. I mean, that's, that's huge. 60 hours a week, you know, just doing, like, 
things that I could do, so therefore did not require an MD. And yeah, so there's a lot of, I think, yeah, there's a lot and of things. And things which, by the way, I mean, it. yes, some of these things that you were doing are more complicated than flipping a burger, but. Yeah, yeah. Doable. They, yeah. They're yeah. doable. They can, can be trained. Be yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, okay. Yeah. The, but the bottom line is, why should you take the highest educated, most expensive person yeah. in the system and make them do a $10 an hour job? Yeah. Hire someone to do the $10 yeah. an hour job and let me do what I'm really good at, which is talking to patients. Mm-hmm. seeing patients, solving problems, doing surgery, like all this other BS. Like the only reason that they have doctors do it is because doctors haven't pushed back mm-hmm. say, you know what, um, either fix the EMR and make it work like, you know, Google on steroids mm-hmm. and be, and like, it reads my mind and translates <laughs> that into a note or hire people to help it. I'm like, yeah. this is the dumbest, most inefficient way to run this system is to have me do more work in, in no other business in the universe would they expect someone to go home and work for another two hours after they worked 15 hours you know during the day yeah. but the yeah, hospital the want you yeah. to do it medical yeah. systems want you to do it yeah. because you know why because we haven't pushed back and we don't value ourselves highly enough so that's that's my bottom line is like you know fight the good fight value yourself and make sure you are being appropriately compensated for the value that they are extracting mm-hmm. from you. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Sorry, I got, got yeah, a little excited yeah, about that. But, uh, yeah. I mean, but if, it's if, very, it, you know, there, I was on this, there's a physician's uh, Facebook group called Side Gigs. And mm-hmm. one of the, somebody posted like, oh, they want to pay us like $30 an hour to be on call. And there are all these people like, no, don't do it, don't do it. And, and my comment was value, bottom line, value yourself, mm-hmm. period, dot. Mm-hmm. I am optimistic about the future of burnout in medicine and just the fact that we are having conversations now mm-hmm. about burnout as a serious issue and about wellness as a priority. And while, the, uh, as we've discussed, the solutions mm-hmm. and how people try to integrate wellness into, for example, med- medical curriculums is not perfect, but it is there. And I mean, that's I think there's something to be said for the fact that we are at least having the conversations now. And um, I mean, we're having a conversation about it right now and Mm -hmm. just Mm -hmm. telling people that they need to advocate for themselves is huge because I'm sure a lot of people have never heard that before. Mm -hmm. Well, and and this is also because of the like the screwed up hierarchy in medicine. And this is it's this, you know, pure power structure, this pyramid and someone above you can ruin your career. I mean, Mm -hmm. all of that has to change Mm -hmm. and all has to change. I mean, this is like a, a 1950s you know, kind of like structure that has persisted into 2020. Yeah. 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 I have a question for you. So in your book, you talk a lot about EMR electronic medical records and how like it's really a strain on provider. And I'm guessing because it is like still kind of new. I mean, you were saying you did high 50% of your career was before and 50% has been after. I was wondering like, um, I, and admittedly we're like, um, or at least like some of us are in our preclinical years still. Um, and I'm just wondering, like, they don't, I mean, they don't, this is not something that they emphasize. And, and to my experience, like, to my knowledge, I don't know that even my friends that are on the wards are being told, like, how to efficiently do EMR. I don't know. I'm just wondering, like, how can this training, because we're growing up where we're 100% of our lives are going to be in this system. And I'm just feeling like, I don't know that we get the tools. They teach us, like, you know, like, how to write an appropriate clinical note and all the things that, you know, are essential towards, like, patient care in that regard. But I don't know that we get, and they also teach us, like, what labs to order, like, for this and how to, like, minimize cost. But I don't know if we're getting like education on how to like mitigate these things that you know that you talk about in your book that cause a lot of stress 
Well, and, and I mean, part of the issue is the way that EMRs are set up. They're set up to maximize billing. Yeah, they're not set up yeah. to maximize documentation yeah. or your time or anything like that. They're set up to maximize billing, which is important at the end of the day. But also, like, you can't make me spend like triple the time documenting a visit just so you can bill more efficiently. Yeah. Um, I, I think, you know, like my um, my kids just graduated from undergrad and a lot of their friends went to business school. Mm -hmm. And the first class, a lot of the business students had, they like, here, here's how you use Excel. That's like a whole class. Hey, here's how to use the EMR class. No, mm -hmm. like they're yeah. like, it's like, no, yeah. you know? And so there's, I, I'm sure there's a million, and even my own EMR, I'm sure there's a million ways I could use it more efficiently, but I'm like, I never took the time. You know, we kind of basically use the parts that we have to use and yeah. I dictate and we do, um, voice recognition for everything else. Uh, I think it's a better note. Mm -hmm. And plus that I'm not looking at a computer the entire time when I'm with the patient. I'm yeah. like, uh, we don't even have computers in the room. We go yeah. in with a piece of paper wow. and yeah. like write it down and they go back and dictate. Mm -hmm. So that, that's how we yeah. dealt with it. Mm -hmm. And that's the way that I feel like I can still give the patient mm -hmm. the attention they deserve and accomplish the, the mm -hmm. tasks that need to be accomplished mm -hmm. uh, in the EMR. But yeah, I mean, it, it, they would, I, so again, it's like, why would they expect you to know how to be efficient with the EMR if they don't actually train you how to do mm -hmm. it? That should be like a, uh, well, and we've had a couple of classes here, but typically it's like an eight hour class and you want to claw your eyes out. Yeah. You know? <laughs> um, and, and then what I end up doing is I learn like the four things I need to know how to do and I can't do anything else. Mm -hmm. Like I, I like, I know how to discharge a patient from the recovery room after I take those stone out. I'm, I'm like, I'm killer at that. Mm -hmm. Can I, like, <laughs> I'm great at discharging. Yeah, you, can I can I set up a sliding scale, you know, for insulin? Mm -hmm. Like no way, that would take me like two hours and three phone calls to to you know mm -hmm. the EMR support to do it. So I admit I admit the patient to medicine because they know how to do that, mm -hmm. and then I do the surgery. I mean, it's it, it's crazy that you know, and the amount of frustration with just EMR. The last thing I would say is, is that the 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 designers never use it I'm like yeah. if they had to use this stuff they'd be like this sucks yeah, yeah. clearly know? not informed by the people who are the target yeah. audience it's not interface driven it's yeah I, i'm yeah i'd have like basic access for like a project this summer and they i think it took like the training was like 30 minutes but like to verify that i was like you know had access to it, it took like two weeks and i was like I <laughs> it would be great if i guess somebody could just like give me like a you know crash course yeah. or something we're gonna train you on this but then you don't get to use it for yeah. two weeks and then we you'll really have forgotten you know how yeah <laughs> Sketchy is oh, access. A sketchy for EMR. A sketchy for EMR. <laughs> Seriously, I don't know. And, sketchy and like, is a study I, tool. Like, so I'll typically I go do the training first, and I'll just I'll figure out the four things we know, and then that's what I teach my partners. I'm like, I don't know how to do anything else, but this yeah. is how you like yeah. get out of the hospital and finish your <laughs> notes and read your orders. You know. Yeah. I don't want to spoil the ending of your book, but a lot of the ending of your book talks about the actions you can take if you're already burnt out. And uh, it's kind of a tall order because basically your advice is evaluate everything in your life. <laughs> and I think that that is super important. You know, like I'm, I'm not saying that this is terrible advice because it's actually the only advice that that I think works. You know, you've got to take a long, hard look at your life. You've got to figure out, as you said, if you haven't already figured out your priorities, you've got to figure out those priorities. You've got to put those priorities into action. You've got to, you, you know, maybe you even have to re rehearse saying no to the things that shouldn't be priorities for you. Um, you've got to, you know, look at your finances. You've got to look at your family life. You've got to look at your, at your, uh, you know, at the place where you work, you've got to do all of this work. That's a tall order, uh, necessary though it may, may be. Um, but when people come to me and they're frustrated about something, 
and they feel trapped, my first piece of advice to them is always do something. Start in some small way to do something because that's a way of taking back your agency. It's a way of taking back your control in a situation where you don't have, where you feel like you don't have control. Um, do, you know, is, is that something you would uh, support at all? Yes. You know, the, the journey of a thousand miles starts with a single step, as uh, I think Deng says. But the, the you know, the issue is, Yes, there's there's like one chapter long laundry list of things to do. I'm like, whoa, 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 whoa. like people be overwhelmed. I'm like, so and and it's always kind of funny. The number one question I ask is like, well, so you know, what do you what do you do about burnout? I'm like, okay, this is really complicated. There's three steps. What is the thing that makes your blood boil the most? Think about what you can do about it. Give yourself a deadline. Mm-hmm. And then the fourth step is obviously doing it. Mm-hmm. So then you do one thing. Pick one thing. Like, I hate that. Um, you know, I have to get up and round, you know, early. I'm like, well, maybe you trade off with the other medical student and you take turns. Like then you're only getting up early to round, you know, and you you swap patients every day. Um, um, I like, don't feel like I have enough time to exercise. So like, well, maybe you design something where you can exercise where you live and you do yoga. You do something that you don't have to, you don't have the travel time. So you're not spending 30 minutes driving there and driving back. I mean, like think of, think of one thing that you can do. The, the, the thing that's worse, think of something you can do and then put a deadline on it. The behavior, the reason for the deadline, behavior research shows it triples the chance you'll actually do it if you put a deadline on it. It goes from like 38% to like 93%. Mm-hmm. So I'm like, I'm gonna do this by tomorrow. I'm gonna do this by at the end of, you know, an hour after the end of this podcast. Mm-hmm. Um, and and then you'll then you'll get it done. And then the thing I like about that is like you're like, oh, that worked. Like, okay, what's next on the list? What's the next most irritating thing in my life? And go there. And then you kind of start this like I call it the upward spiral. Then you then you're like, hey, that helped. Like my huge thing for me was sleep. I had horrible insomnia. So like so then like every day was like this angry fog because I didn't get good sleep. So I'm like, okay, we gotta get this handled. So so I read a lot, did a lot of things. We like completely changed our sleep environment. And um, and so I started getting to sleep. So then I like, I felt better. And then I like, my decision-making was better. Then I, then I wanted to, I had enough energy to exercise. Then I started eating better. Mm-hmm. And, you know, so all of those physical things actually helped my mental health. And then when that was better, then I'm like, okay, maybe I don't have to be the most productive partner. So that's probably like four times longer than the answer you wanted. But mm-hmm. to me, you have to, prioritize, you know, you, you, clearly you can't attack eight things at the same time. But I think if you pick the thing that's bugging you the most and start with that and fix that, then you start moving down the list. And then you start to see progress too. I think that it becomes like a, an accretive effect. You know, it kind of sounds like what you're talking about is like Maslow's hierarchy of needs. Mm. Like first, have I eaten today? Have I showered today? Okay, let's get those very basic. Because mm-hmm. if you don't eat and you don't sleep, you're going to die, mm-hmm. right? So you can't take yeah. care of any other problem until you solve that. But right. it's really nice kind of the systematic mm-hmm. way that you've laid out for figuring out like what is the biggest stressor? Mm-hmm. What is it within my control? And then let me create some accountability around fixing that. I, I think that the... And, and you may need outside help determining these things, because mm-hmm. one of the things that I know from my life is when you are depressed, you're actually experiencing a thought disorder. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And it becomes very, very difficult to understand 
mm-hmm. what's happening to you and what your agency really is. Because mm-hmm. there's a learned, yeah. there's sort of a learned helplessness involved mm-hmm. in feeling depressed. There's but. actually a book on this called The Upward Spiral, but it, it begins with kind of the neurochemistry uh, and neurobiology of depression. And then it goes into some of the like behavioral activation of what you can do to create that upward spiral Mm -hmm. to stop the downward spiral that Mm -hmm. you feel you're in the depression. I I was going to say, I'm like, if you're in a hole, stop digging. Okay. (laughs) Uh, Yeah. And and I tell you, I don't think I, in my life was ever depressed, even during the burnout thing, I I got like more frustrated and angry. Um, But like when we had these health things go on with my family here over the last couple months, um, that was the first time I think I was ever really depressed. And I'm like, wow. I'm like, this is like, like I couldn't get out of bed. I could mm-hmm. barely get out of bed. I could barely put like one foot in front of each other. So I was like, oh my God, I understand what people feel like when they're depressed now. Mm-hmm. And, you know, once the health stuff started to get better, um, uh, I got out of it pretty quickly, but I was like, wow, that that was um, well, that's a- uh, like an eye-opening experience for me. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Before we let you go, uh, I mentioned at the top of the show you graduated from the Carver College or the Iowa the University of Iowa College school. of Medicine in 1992. Um, I'm wondering, what do you recall fondly from your <laughs> about your experience uh, here? In, well, oh. your experience in medical school? Um, tons of things. Um, we always used to go to. There was a, used to be a bar downtown called Mickey's. Uh, oh yeah, still there. Still there. Okay, uh, Tuesday they had conglomerations. That was my favorite. <laughs> thing conglomeration. uh, conglomerations every tuesday yeah. um we were on a block schedule so like you would do nothing for two weeks and then cram for two weeks uh-huh. so like the not relatable weeks off, not like, really. okay. i'm not um, sure that's changed <laughs> yeah, yeah every, every other week yeah every other week, okay. yeah. Bad week i'm gonna i'm gonna put this out there in public in a public forum um we had note service during the um oh. during the time so like yeah. some yeah. of the classes I went to once or twice a semester when I was the note taker. Oh, still have so that. Don't we still have note service? Disseminate. I, I no, we don't a, actually have much note service because anymore we because we have PowerPoints now. So, yeah. yeah. We have PowerPoints and, and we have recordings. Worst thing that ever happened in education you think so? ever. Yes. How did people present before PowerPoint? Like on a board? I think that's all it is. And you had to write it out, which then controlled the speed at which you shared the inf- sorry no. i just had an aside and we kind of devolved into this kind of how powerpoint is the worst thing that's ever happened oh, yeah. to education yeah. i mean it, well, it, we had, actually when i was there they had a hunk of hunk of coal and it would <laughs> <laughs> actually it was a chisel and a hammer and uh yeah yeah but, no, um, no, no service i was not a big class attender but I, I i figured out i could read like four lectures in the time that i could go to one lecture mm. so you know and like pathology Everything was out of the book. Like the class was mm. superfluous. Um, out of a what was a, oh, a book? Whoa, what is that? What is that? A book. It's a book. <laughs> And then just like the clinical rotations were, it was like a lot of fun. Um, mm-hmm. Like um, my, my, I, I tell the story when I was talking to this group of uh, pre-med students where my kids go to school and they're like the first time I was ever in the OR, it was like an OB. They're doing like a C-section. They're like, scrub in. I'm like, I don't know how, like it was like my first day. I didn't, I didn't know how to scrub in. Um, and so we rectified that situation, but you know, like we, we had a six week, um, psych rotation at Broadlawns in Des Moines. Mm-hmm. Uh, so it did that. I mean, just, I, we had, I, I remember it, some of it, most of it so vividly, it was such mm-hmm. a great, um, 
a great learning experience. I love the University of Iowa. I think you guys, I would put you guys up against the best medical students in the country. Because like, I was, I've been at UCLA, I've been in other places, and like, God. Get, get they, to know me first. first. <laughs> <laughs> hey, you've been feeding my ego all show. You're telling oh, no. me that I, how much money I'm worth. And... They're like, they're nice kids, they're smart kids. God, they were lazy. It drove me nuts. Uh, I'd, yeah. I'd be like, hey, you know, medical student person, go run down the hallway and and do that the history and physical on that patient so we can get them to the OR. You're like, oh, I know, I, I can't do that. Um, Wait, I where gotta was this ever, at? UCLA. You know, some UCLA. lecture four hours from now that I can't I have no. to go. Like, yeah, it just, I mean, insane. I think the work ethic, the quality yeah. of the students, the friendliness yeah. of the students, the friendliness of people at Iowa is like unmatched. Mm -hmm. I'm just, you guys are amazing. I'm, I'm wow. glad to have my beliefs confirmed. By that we're yeah. the best. Yeah. What did you bitch about? <laughs> in medical school. What did you all get together over drinks and bitch about? Because I got to say, like, bitching is a time-honored tradition, I, I yeah, yeah. suspect. Yeah. Probably in like the residents, the residents who are mean to you, um, mm. the attendings who are mean to you, um, you know, where, like, this person was such a gunner with their four-color clicky, you know, pen. Um, <laughs> like, uh, clicky <laughs> pen. <laughs> Yeah. The litmus yeah, test of terrible yeah. people is clicky pens. Yeah. Dave. Uh, I'm sorry, I've been clicking a pen like for an hour now. Um, so just like, you know, the, the the people who you know, like you know, like we're all smart. Like you don't have to prove how smart you are. Like yeah. everybody's smart in medical school pretty mm -hmm. much. So like you don't 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 worry about showing off about how smart you are. Mm -hmm. You know, that was kinda like yeah. Dr. Moody, we're going to be pretty unbearable when we're applying to residency. I'm thinking we're going to be, we were, we were told we're amazing. We were told we get free lunch every day. This is what we demand now as a Carver graduate. Million dollars. The point that I make to my kids and all kids, I'm like, it doesn't matter where you go to undergrad as long as you do well. It doesn't yeah. matter where you go to medical school as long as you do well. And then really, I think residency matters a little bit. And I'm like... The, it's, the medical system in America is designed to train really high qualified physicians. And so you're going to, you know, if you don't match at your top first or second choice, doesn't mean you're a bad person. Mm -hmm. Like, and I was, you know, and now that I'm so ancient and, you know, experienced in life, but I'm like, you know what? Life works out. Like it, there's a reason I always feel like you ended up at that place, wherever you're going to go for a reason. And, you know, like, I guess probably your job is to find out what that reason is. Um, you know, and part of the reason why I went to UCLA is that other than Iowa, it was the most, the place I felt most at home, like it was total gastrointestinal barometer. It was like, this place feels right to me. The people were nice. Like they worked hard. They were smart. I'm like, this is just like at Iowa. So in a lot of other places, they're like, they bragged about that. They, they had more than a hundred percent divorce rate in their residence. I'm like, wow. Not, that to, makes not to brag or anything, but all of our residents are suicidal. So. Yeah, Alternatively, they're like, all singles. So you're looking for someone. I'm like, that, that is the worst thing I've ever heard. And you guys are like, I don't, don't get away from me. You know, yeah. don't affect me with that. You know? Yeah. That's crazy. So. That is insane. Uh, I have one more question. Sometimes at CECOM, it seems like we survey students about the surveys that they've filled out. <laughs> Were you ever, <laughs> were you ever asked for your opinion on how medical education was going and what could be improved? No. Mm. Okay. Don't think so. Not that I recall. Okay. Mm. So we should stop complaining. I stop yeah, bitching. Yeah. No, actually, I, I, I mean, 
I, I don't know how common this is, but you guys are given a lot of a input. A lot of surveys. And I, I think that's critical because that's it's good, like, yeah. I think you, A, the, the, the college needs to look at what's effective, yeah. but you also need to give your perspective on what's effective. Like, mm-hmm. you know, um, when we were doing pathology, they made us go take these um, tests, these quizzes after every chapter uh, in pathology. And I know the guy wrote the questions for the USMLE. So we, he was using us to gauge the difficulty of the oh questions, which I'm like, okay, we'll free market research. But <laughs> I don't know, that was like, that no was IRB very, for that, useful, probably. that was very useful to me because the kind of the way these quizzes work, you would take a question. If you got the answer right, it would give you a harder question, a harder question, a harder oh. question until you missed one, then it would give you an easier question. And so it was a great way to gauge <laughs> like your depth of knowledge. So that to me was like super useful. Oh. I still remember that. Well, Dr. Moody, uh, thank you uh, for coming to talk with us today about your work and your book, The Doctor's Burned Out, A Physician's Guide to Recovery. It's out right now, right? Um, Actually, the launch date is the 29th. You can buy it online at Amazon um, and it will like magically appear in your Kindle. You can actually buy a paper copy, but I think that would scare people probably (laughs) uh, medical students at this point. uh, So not sure what that is. Um, Yeah, that might. Those are flammable. <laughs> yeah, that's right. That's right. And it's, it's you know, like we're wasting natural resources. Yes. Come on. Well, by the Get time this comes out, by the time this show comes out, it will be out then. Oh, cool. Um, and uh, yeah, so go go get it. How can people find out more about you and your work? Amazingly, um, I was finally able to rest rest away jeffmoody.com from this very nice like guitar playing Jeff Moody. Somewhere. <laughs> so that's hilarious. Yeah. yeah. JeffMoody.com. He had it for like eight years. Nice. Finally, like, it lapsed, and I was like, "I got it." So, how do we um, find him now? <laughs> probably just search like Jeff Moody guitar player. Yeah, so, Jeff Moody urologist player. Um, so, but JeffMoody.com. You can sign up for my email list. I'm doing live streams. Um, actually, I don't know if you Jordan Harbinger. Do you know that guy? Ooh, I, yeah. I saw your recent thing with him. Yeah. Yeah, he's like 630,000 followers. He had obviously he's on my live stream. Um, I've had. Olympic gold medal winners. I've had um, CEOs of companies. So I just trying to like get all the facets of burnout in those live streams. I love doing this. Mm. I love helping medical students. Um, I really want to do some sort of a more formal program with the college, Dave. Yep. That's in the cards at some point. I and have no I just, power, but yes, I'm happy to talk. <laughs> we have a I lot of power, we've been told. So <laughs> let us know. Super strongly about inoculating you guys against yeah. burnout. Yes. You really have. Yeah. You really. Yeah. I think you this was wonderful. Reinforced a lot of things that maybe we had in our minds, but <laughs> needed permission to hear from someone kind of further along their career. Yeah. You also shared a lot of insights that, like, it wouldn't have taken us forty more years to learn. You yeah. kind of yeah. gave us a short. Hey, I'm not that old. <laughs> yeah, it's a little hard. No, harshly. I'm just that young. I'm ten. Mm-hmm. Actually, so <laughs> no, just kidding. Yeah. Thank yeah. you so much. You, really you guys are awesome. Thanks so much for having me. Thank um, you. Yeah, thank you. And you and I'm not kidding about that. Um, excellence. Um, whatever seminar thing, please go send me the bill. I'm not kidding. Mm-hmm. Aline, Maddie, okay. Ananya, Nicole, thanks for being thank my co-host today. Thanks so much. Thank you. And what kind of idiot would I be if I didn't thank you, Short Coats, for making us part of your week? If you're new here and you like what you heard today, subscribe to our show wherever fine podcasts are available. I remind you that your questions are vital to the show. They mean it can be what you want it to be about. Send your questions and comments to the shortcoats at gmail.com or you can leave a message to 347-SHORT-CT and we'll talk about it on the show. While your podcast app is open, we hope you'll be the kind of listener we're always grateful for. Give us some stars and a review to let us know if we're doing this podcast thing right. The show is made possible by a generous donation by Carver College Medicine Student Government and ongoing support from the Writing and Humanities Program. Our music is by Dr. Vox and Catmosphere. Talk to you in one week.